0: Four forty-five through 51 who then is the faithful and wise servant again remember a little bit of context a few verses before this he talked about those who don't remain faithful and now he's talking about what life is like in the middle, middle of all this and he says who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has sought over his household to give them their food at their proper time blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes The purpose of the parable starting today and going through chapter 25 is really for encouragement. It's Jesus is reminding us to be ready and to remain faithful. To be ready and to remain faithful. How do we do that? Who is the faithful and wise servant? It's the person whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. In the passage this morning, a steward or servant is someone who is appointed with the resources that belong to their master their boss their leader the master entrusts them with these resources for the purpose of accomplishing the master's will not the servant's will the master's will in other words advance the master's interests or care for what the master cares about using these resources what does that mean to you and i everything you have Your time, your talents, and your treasure has all been entrusted to you by God as a steward. You and I are stewards. I could take a long time this morning and talk about it, but suffice it to say, you can't possibly explain the origins of the universe without there being a creator. There have been many scientific theories regarding it. There have been many scientific theories that go out of their way to figure out a way to do it that doesn't involve creator but if there's no beginning there's no essence or elements and if there's no essence or elements there's nothing to build with none none of this is possible without there being a beginning and none of it can begin without something outside of it everything we have everything we are everything we see on this planet has been created through an intelligent design and a creator look around this room look at your family look at your friends Look at the tables. Look at the building. All of this is a part of God's creation and comes from the Creator. It's an old joke, and it's kind of a silly one, but I'll I'll tell it real quick. Anyhow, uh, there was an atheist who starts to argue with God about whether or not uh, man had reached the pinnacle of, of what he's supposed to be and that he could do anything that he wanted to without God. And God said, if that's true, then you should be able to create any." world you want without my assistance and the scientific atheist takes the challenge on and he reaches down and he mounds together some mud and God says hang on bring your own dirt that's mine all of it all that we have all that we we whether we desire or not all the pieces that come together come from creation let's take it a little bit closer to home All that you've accomplished, all your gifts, all of your abilities, all the success that you've experienced, that's coming about from God's blessing. God's righteousness rains down on the just just and the unjust. God's God's impact to this world impacts everybody. In other words, your intelligence, your your creativity, even your ability to follow God, all flows from God. You might say, well, I'm pretty proud of myself. I got this position at a job, or I got that role because I work harder, or I'm better at this sport than the other person because I put more time in. And all of those are true, but then I would say, who gave you those abilities? Who put you together and knit you in that way? You see, that's a predicament. You cannot justify your position apart from the realization that wherever you go, you are there because it's because of what God has given you. James 1, 7 says, every good and perfect gift comes from the father. Now, I'm pretty good at PCs. I would dare say that outside of Dennis, I'm the smartest IT guy here. Sorry, Ben, you're a programmer. <laughs> ben gets the joke. Um, <laughs> I, I, it just always has come naturally, it's always been my ability to do it. Lest I ever forget that it's really God who provides all of my means and has provided me the way to make money for my family and everything else, I started to look back on how I've gotten jobs. And uh, my uh, job at uh, Cadence Health was gotten because a gentleman at Cadence who I'd never met before, I found out through, through a mutual friend, was going for a job at page Medical Group where I worked. And I was convicted by God to say, you really should help this guy out with this interview process because he's asked you for help and you should do it. So I I did, and he couldn't figure out why I was doing that. He says, don't you want the same position? And I said, yeah, but I figure the good man will win. And so I gave him some, some tips on that. He didn't get the job, I didn't get the job, but he called me the next day and he offered me a job at Cadence Health. He didn't know whether or not I could do anything smart with computers yet. But I used to go through all my life thinking it was my intelligence with computers that got me the job. My job at DMG, before Cadence Health, I thought, well, oh, here this guy recognizes the talent, he recognizes the potential, he hired the right guy. Until we're at a Sox game one time and he had a little bit too much to drink and he admitted to me that he actually called me back for a second interview because he thought he was calling back someone else. He didn't even like me at the first interview. <laughs> but then he had to not call the other guy back at that point because he'd already turned him down and he was embarrassed, so yay me! I got the job. And then I worked for a few months at my current job when somebody came to me and said, man, I am sure glad we didn't go with the guy your boss wanted. And he was not making a joke. (laughs) All of that to say, I've told people all of my career, I've been amazed at how God gets me roles. But in the back of my head, I've always known that there's a little bit of talent here that's getting it done too. And God once in a while has to remind Bob Crane, trust me, I can get the wrong guy sent to an interview and still get you hired. So, Everything that we have, everything we've been entrusted with is a gift from God. And if you understand that and you begin to realize that there isn't anything you're trying to work hard towards today that isn't going to be a gift from God, no matter how hard he has, you work or not work for it. There isn't going to be any gift you get today that isn't going to be from God. When you start to understand that, then it makes sense in this passage, that you and I have been entrusted with this gift as a steward. Please don't read this passage and say that's a passage for Pastor Andy. Or that's a pastor for Sherilyn. Or that's a pastor for a volunteer or passage. That's a pass- passage for a volunteer on a Sunday morning. We are all entrusted servants. Peter, in, in the passage, I, th- I think it was in Luke, um, even asks, Who are you talking about here? Peter wanted to be like, Ugh. Am I in the list that has to follow this? And Jesus didn't really answer. He just went on and and taught other lessons, as Jesus sometimes is wont to do when the answer is obvious. Yes, it's all of us. As a believer in Christ, you have been entrusted with this gift as a steward. We are to be faithful and to be about our master's business. These things you and I have, these abilities you and I have, They can be used for our luxury, they can be used for our comfort, but that is not their intent and that is not what they're simply there for. Yes, God wants you to be able to enjoy, but before that, first and foremost, God wants you to know that you've been entrusted with these resources to advance God's interests. I can tell you, if you want to see God do amazing things in your life, you have to be okay with this. You have to come to the point where you realize that this is what God has called all of us to be, is His steward, to take care of his resources. So Jesus asks the question, who is that wise, faithful steward? And he puts wise and he puts faithful together. What's wisdom? Think about that for a minute. You know, when I think of wisdom, I think of somebody who's lived a life and they've gained lessons along the way in life. You know, the simple ones in the beginning, don't touch that, that's hot. How do you learn that? You touched it, it was hot. It's wisdom, right? Eventually you learn, and some people never learn. Sometimes it's good in the room to be the person not talking and be the person listening. I used to not know that. I've actually learned that. As much as I talk, I know there's times I need to be quiet. That's wisdom. That's gaining knowledge from there. Um, I think sometimes we think somebody who is wise is somebody who makes long-term plans. They've got a plan, and it's rolling out, and they're like, boy, this guy's got wisdom. He's not going for the short-term gain. He's going for long-term But remember, Matthew wrote this to a Jewish audience. And a Jewish believer thinks of wisdom as the understanding of the truth of God and then the application of that truth in one's heart. The understanding of the truth of God and then the application of that truth in one's heart. I got that from a a Jewish commentary. Wisdom is the understanding of the truth of God and then the application of that truth in one's heart. It doesn't have anything to do with age. It has to do with your ability to hear what God has got for you and then to apply that diligently in your life. Proverbs 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is the understanding. So Jesus says this servant, the good servant, is somebody who is wise and faithful. He ties biblical wisdom with biblical faithfulness or our ability to be faithful to God. So then we have to ask ourselves, what's that mean? What does it mean to be faithful? That's a good de- question in this day and age. I don't know that there are a lot of rewards for being faithful. I thought about that with, uh, with Chase Daniel. He's been in the news all week long. You know, I mean, we're, we're, we're from Chicago, which means we always love which quarterback? The backup quarterback. And we always hate which quarterback? The starting quarterback. It's, it's who we are. But Chase Daniel is been in the NFL for 11 seasons, 11 seasons, and he's had, I think, five, I think today might be a sixth start in 11 seasons, 16 games per season, somebody smarter than me do the math, and he started six times. And then when you look at it, he's had like 15 or 16 sacks. I mean, his his numbers are abysmal. But when he goes into a game, he has studied, and he knows, and he learns, and he understands all of it, and he's taking all those years of of studying and everything else, and he's put into it, and he said, I'm going to give you 100%. And Chase Daniel knows that his job is not to try and get the starting quarterback role. He's not going to roll out and do some psychotic Hail Mary that he hopes is going to get him noticed, which is probably just going to be an interception anyhow. He knows his job is to faithfully manage the game and let the other side of the football win the game. Now that's a long explanation, but what does that say? It says Chase Daniel is faithful because I bet he would count, he would lose all of his fingers and toes trying to count the number of quarterbacks who were backup quarterbacks when he started that went and did another job because they felt like they couldn't be the number one spot. It's that long-term thing, but we don't honor long-term. I read a statistic a couple of weeks ago that divorce is actually going down, but it's not going down because people are staying together it's going down because less people are even getting married in the first place. Because they're not even going to make any hint of commitment or faithfulness in the long term. They're going to let you know that if you and I are not married and we're living together, what I'm saying is, I can go anytime I please. You can go anytime you please. Isn't this wonderful, the freedom we have with each other? And God says, no, that's not freedom. That's a lack of commitment. That's a lack of faith. And so faith in anything is something that we don't talk about a lot but faithfulness is that enduring allegiance faithfulness is that loyalness to perform one's duty and faithfulness doesn't have to look at the outcome faithfulness looks at the commitment and so god says if you are a servant who's a good servant you're going to be wise You are going to listen to my word and you're going to apply it to your life. You're going to seek to understand my word. You're going to apply it to your life. And you're going to be faithful. You're going to stick around. You're not going to look for the out. You're not even going to try and figure out whether this is worth sticking around for because you already know because of your biblical wisdom it's worth it. So what is this servant faithful to do? And that's at the end of verse 45. The master sets them over his household to give them their food in their proper time. The servant has a responsibility to provide for the needs of others in the household, to feed and care for them. You and I are called to serve God. How do we do that? We serve God by serving others. We know this, right? We hear it often. We are called to serve God by serving others. Many of us want to do this, right? We've heard this before. But here's the rub. It is times easy to love your spouse, as Christ has called you to. At other times, it's not as easy to love your spouse, as Christ has called you to. This is the part where Gwen and Carla should take over the relationship seminar tonight, and they could tell you those times it's not easy to love people like Andy and myself, but we'll let that go. No matter how wonderful your spouse is, some days it is hard to be a servant to your spouse. Some days you just want to serve yourself. Serving your kids? I thought about this as, as, as it was starting, so if this illustration stinks, you guys can tell me later. But God's kind of designed kids for a promotion of parenthood. You know, when you take them home, they kind of, you feed them and they barely cry yet, and then they, you change them and that's it, and they don't move or anything else. And so you learn how to feed them on time. You learn that they've got a real attitude if they're fed the wrong thing. So so you're in your training program, you know. And then as you get that, God says, okay, we're going to promote you up. And we're going to promote you up to rolling and getting sick and 103 fevers and all that good stuff. Wouldn't it call the doctor, not call the doctor. And then you go, okay, I got that down. I I know when the, the Tylenol comes out and when it doesn't come out. And then God says, aren't you excited they're walking? And every parent of a firstborn child says, Yes! And every parent who's beyond that stage goes, ha ha ha. But then you figure it out. You go, okay, if it's too quiet in that room for longer than 34 seconds, run, don't walk, because something's going on in that room. And slowly but surely these problems may get more difficult. But you're serving that child and you're loving them. And then it gets really complicated as they get to certain other ages where they start to make decisions on their own and for some reason they're telling you how dumb you are and you don't know why. And they're not saying you're dumb, they're just questioning your statements. You know? And you're like, where did that kid come from? Where was the kid the other day that just blindly followed by allegiances? You know? And it gets more complicated and then the relationships come in and you go, what am I supposed to do and not supposed to do? But anyway, through all of that, you're loving them, you're serving them. God didn't drop a 17-year-old teenager in your house unless you do adoption or or foster parenting for a reason. Because we'd be goners. He lets you work up to it, lets you you work through it. But you're faithful all the way through. And you're faithful all the way up until the time it's, it's time for that child to go to the next step. And so we are a servant or a steward or we're faithful to love and care for our spouses and love and care for our family. But God wants you to keep going. Because remember, the master has entrusted us with his resources to do his will. And so God says, you know that workplace you're at? I know you're trying to honor your family and love them, but I want you to go a step further now. I want you to be a a marketplace minister. I want you to be somebody, the other guys can show up and punch the clock and go home and that's it. I want them to know you're a believer. But I want them to know you're a believer because you're yelling at them for cussing. I want them to know you're a believer because you're there to listen to them. You're there to care about them. You're there to be the guy that if they have to work late, that you're offering to stay with them. You're sacrificing some portion of yourself for them, and they're going to at some point, maybe wonder why, maybe not, let God worry about how that's all going to work out. I simply need you to feed the people I've entrusted you with. Hint, the people you work with are also people I've entrusted you with. And you say, okay, God, so now I've got my my spouse I've got my family now. I'm, I'm, I'm working this out at uh, at uh, uh, work. God says, "Kid in any sports?" You're like, oh. <laughs> so you're talking about the other parents? It's like I'm talking about the umpire. Nobody needs Jesus more than the umpire in the middle of a kid's baseball game. <laughs> they need your love. They need your mercy. They need your kindness because not many of those other parents are being that way, and so you start to touch and, and get with them. And God keeps expanding out. This sphere of influence that he wants you to be a part of and going further and further and further. And God says, now you're starting to love your neighbors. You're starting to get it. Now Terry needs some people to go to Hesed House and to serve food. You say, okay, maybe I could do that. That's one night that's in, that's out. It's like, well, get to know some of the guys while you're there. And then God says, well, uh, Wayside has a need for people to be mentors well i haven't been through recovery before okay well then we'll start you out wayside needs people to help help these guys find jobs when they're done and we can go on and on and on and on and it just keeps expanding and expanding and expanding you and i are called to serve god by serving others and as this goes bigger and bigger and bigger at some point it can be very easy to think i've got nothing left to give And that's okay if I don't serve others because I work and I'm tired and I'm trying to serve my family and I don't have any left. And God says, that's okay because I think I, Bob Crane, I'm doing my part. What we don't understand is that that is not okay with God. We must understand that he has called us to serve others, to sacrificially put the interests of other people before our own selfish interests. Not only our family not even stopping at people who are like us now some of you are bucking a little bit against it you're already thinking of your time you work out how much time you have to put with god but understand that it has to come from this place of being the wise and faithful servant to being obedient to where he's called you to be and trust me this is not a natural way to think if this is rubbing you wrong a little bit that's okay because it rubs me wrong all the time it's just not a natural way for to think in our f- flesh We prioritize ourselves and those people that that are important to us. But the servant is called to care for the others in the interest of the master. In other words, Jesus called us to serve those important to him, not me, to him. This morning, uh, we we mentioned Jonah uh, in prayer. And I thought, boy, what a perfect example of this. Because I, I used to, I preach sermons where I say, Father, break my heart for this group of people that I don't really want to serve, but you've called me to serve. Father, just do something in my heart that makes my heart go out to them. That would be great if he does it. But I almost wonder if God's saying, no. Not, no, I won't do it. But no, you can't wait for that. Because God didn't wait for Jonah to come around. He sent him to Nineveh. And that man had the opportunity to see the biggest revival on earth when an entire country comes to turn their entire life around and follow christ and he still didn't do it and jonah gets a bad rap for his attitude and he probably should but praise god that it only took a whale a few days in a whale to turn him around because i might have been able to go a week god didn't wait for jonah to be ready god said jonah the time is now to go ahead and do this a little more recent than that peter gets woken in a dream one time and he's all this food is coming his way and 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 the food is stuff that he shouldn't eat and he says to God, "I'm not going to eat that, that's unclean." God says, "You don't call something unclean I gave to you. You don't call my blessing to you unclean." That's when Peter realized God was calling him to go speak to somebody who wasn't a Jewish, who wasn't Jewish, who was a Gentile, who needed to believe in Christ, where God was expanding his influence out there. God didn't take Peter through a series of events like in a movie where he got to meet a Gentile one day and it turns out they're not so bad and then pretty soon we find ourselves at work together. Da da, 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 da. No, Peter still spoke this months later in Galatia where he was still trying to hang out with people like him. That didn't block God from saying, Peter, you're serving these people here. I think I've got it somewhere else, but I'll talk about it now. Those guys at Wayside, at times they're fun. At times they're frustrating. (laughs) Oh yeah, I'm going to get my homework done. I'm going to get my homework done. What do they say the next week? Oh, you wouldn't believe all the homework they give you here. This is too much homework. I don't know. It's a couple pages. Probably take them half an hour. I'm I'm a busy man. I don't know what they're doing. Um, When when One guy, I think Ben and I had, was the, the pro wrestler. He's 19 years old. He was 80 pounds if he was soaking wet, you know, and he was going to be professional. We couldn't talk that guy out of anything but being a professional wrestler. I sent him, I'm like, go study how Dwayne Johnson got started and come back and tell me, you know, and come back and he's like, I'll just sleep on my mom's couch and work out at the gym every day. It's like I could just picture him pulling that bar up, you know, and just everything just break, you know. And we would laugh at times about it, but then at times it'd get frustrating I don't have a lot in common with the guys that I'm sitting with when we're doing the, the uh, uh, design for work. What I do have is God's truth. What I do have is God's command to go. And I have some resources that have been entrusted to us. And then we have a trip to Culver's afterwards to make sure we all show up the next week. <laughs> That's a very important part as we rebuild ourselves at Culver's and go back in the next week. And it's wonderful. But God didn't say, Bob, I'm going to get you ready for this first. I'm going to let you just, just, just touch it a little bit. He said, these people are important to me. And because they're important to me, I'm entrusting at least for these 12, 14 weeks, this table of people to you. You have to figure out what you're going to do with it. And Jesus says, blessed is a servant who is found faithful. Did you know that that term blessed could just as easily be translated as happy? And I don't think there's a lot of people that are happy today. I look at uh, what goes on on social media. I look at, uh, you know, they they said the kids' rate of kids being killed in car accidents has gone way down. But it's not because they're driving better. It's because they don't go anywhere anymore. But the rates of kids' suicide has gone way up. Because they sit in the world of this screen in their face day in and day out, day in and day out. And they are judging themselves against people who don't even exist. If you see a picture of somebody and they've got dog ears and a weird mouth, that's not a real person. That's just Snapchat filters. But it's worse than that. You know, it's they, they, they show them, they, they lay in a park in a bunch of weeds and they get a close-up shot so it makes it look like, look like they're in a field. We have all of these ways where we do, Carl and I were talking about it like it's almost like a second life where the person online isn't really me. But now this kid is comparing themselves to this person that couldn't possibly exist. And it's all about self and they're not happy. And you look at people who focus on themselves, these are never happy people. Because nothing is ever going to be enough. And so Jesus says, if you're faithful to serve those who I've called you to serve, you're going to be happy. And true joy, happy. Verse 47, Truly I say to you, this master will set over him all of his possessions. The servant of Jesus understands that Jesus is good. The servant of Jesus understands that Jesus loves his servants and that he's given his his, uh, life for them. And when we serve him, the servants of Jesus are in a relationship with the true and living God, and that reality brings great joy and happiness. And through all of that, he entrusts you with more. And you say, well, I'm a little scared with what he's entrusted me with today. It's like the baby analogy again. Pretty soon you can't believe the things God is calling you to do, and God has you doing one time i did my, my first sermon uh at a church and it was my first one and i was in my 20s and everybody told me what a great job it was and years later i was like i got called at the last minute i'm like i've got that one sermon everybody liked it i preached it it was terrible it was i mean I, you, you always have good and bad but this was this was like one small verse and i extracted stuff out of there that just didn't exist and i'm like holy cow i owe these people an apology you know God had me prepared enough to get up there and do that one thing, and then it was the next thing, and then it was the next thing, and then it was the next thing. And so as you grow out, God will entrust you with more. First John says 228 says, Now little children abide in him that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. We may not be ashamed before him at his coming. We can have confidence in Christ's coming, and we can have confidence in that God has called us and entrusted us with these things. I had to ask myself when I was working on this, why did God chose to choose this time? Why did Jesus choose this time with His disciples for this lesson? Well, as I said at the beginning, we will never know when Christ will return. A day and hour that you're not expecting. There are many joys to serving others, but that isn't to say it's not challenging at times. It can be challenging challenging to actually love people who aren't like you or love others who take but don't or can't give you something back in return. It gets hard. And every year that Jesus delays is another 365 days of that same challenge. And there's going to be times where you want to throw in the towel. That doesn't make you bad. It makes you honest. I don't know that Jesus ever wanted to throw in the towel, but I do recall him asking, how long must I be with you when he had to teach them a lesson again for the third or fourth or fifth time? So there are times when people aren't receiving what God has for them that it gets frustrating. And you can ask yourself, am I on the right track? Am I doing the right thing? Is this a good use of my resources? And I would challenge you that if you've never experienced that, it's probably because you're sitting on the sidelines doing what is easy. But if you have ever poured your life into somebody or something, at some point it's gotten frustrating. And God says that's okay. You have to stick with it. That's where the faithfulness comes in. I think my, my, my favorite one of this, and it's gallows, but it's, it's somewhat fun. Robbie Dawkins was a, a vineyard pastor here for a number of years. I think he's in Texas or something now. And uh, Robbie uh, had this, this couple really good people. I, I met them. They, they struggled with, uh, with uh, addiction. But they were making strides. They were, they were going through the recovery programs. They were faithful to church every Sunday. They were doing good things with them. And one day, the band said he needed to earn some money. And Robbie said, well... I need my car worked on. You used to work on cars. Could I trust you to work on my car? To which the guy said, sure you can. And so Robbie gave him his keys. Later that day, Robbie, who was a a city of Aurora police chaplain, got a call from the city of Aurora that said, hey, where are you right now? And he's like, I'm, I'm at the church. What do you mean, where am I right now? Let me ask you this. Do you know where your car is right now? And he said, well, obviously you know. He's like, It's on a purse-snatching spree throughout the west side of Aurora right now. (laughs) The guy took his car and was running around Aurora stealing purses out of women's carts, got it caught, and drove off and got it wrapped around a tree. Now, the reason why it was funny was because the police said we couldn't stop laughing when we saw city of Aurora police chaplain, and we wanted to say that car was in a high-speed chase today. (laughs) (laughs) And so Robbie risks a lot with this guy, but it doesn't always return the way you want it to. But does that mean he stops? No. Cars will take care of themselves. You have to keep loving just like you keep loving your children and you keep loving your spouse. That's the faithful part. Jesus has called you and I to go beyond our life and beyond our four walls and to speak to a community who desperately needs him. But there are those who struggle with that, and Jesus points that out afterwards where he says, if the wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day he does not expect, in an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I think sometimes when we think of unfaithful, we think of untrustworthy, not loyal, someone he can't count on, maybe somebody doesn't follow through, lazy. All things to describe somebody unfaithful. You know how Jesus describes unfaithful? Wicked. And he says, your unfaithfulness, my unfaithfulness to serve at the capacity he's called it for is at the same level of those who are going to spend eternity apart from him. He doesn't mix words on this. First and foremost, a refusal to serve God by serving others is the same characteristic as those who don't know me at all. Remember, he said earlier when they talked about, you say you love your spouse, you say you love your family. Well, even the, the tax collectors and prostitutes can do that. I'm asking you to go beyond that. Go so much bigger than that. We can become so consumed with Bob's job, Bob's life, Bob's marriage, Bob's family, Bob's entertainment, Bob's recreation, that there's not enough time even in the margins to care for the people God has truly called me to serve. Now, there's nothing wrong with those other things. They just can't be my number one priority. And this doesn't happen overnight. There are many people who once stood here, not here but here metaphorically, who are in no way serving anymore. And it's not just like one day a light switch went off. D.A. Carson wrote, People do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-given effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise, and we call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience, and we call it freedom. We drift toward superstition, and we call that faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control, and we call that relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness, and we delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we've been liberated. Every year Christ delays his return, we're faced with a society and community around you that's in conflict because it's not not receptive to the gospel. And when that happens, it can be easy for the heart to slowly drift away from the life of the servant. And he hit on this uh, uh, probably, I think, once over the last three weeks where he talked about, you know, the abandoning the concept of duty and commitment and talking about more about freedom and grace. But the passage says there's no room for this. This passage is an encouragement to say, when you are faithful and when you are following my wisdom, you're doing the right thing. Stay the course. You say, but the world around us is doing this, I've got to figure that out. No, no, stay the course. Do the right thing. Play the long game with me. Let's, let's go that way. There is no greater joy or happiness to be found on earth than we, when we give ourselves away to God and God's purposes. And you say, boy, that's asking a lot of my faith. Well, it's asking a lot of God's faith in you. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.13 says, Even when we are not faithful, He remains faithful, and He cannot deny himself so even in my shortcomings i simply need to ask him to be strong and to give me more faith a couple of weeks ago carl and i had the blessing of going to a teen challenge event in peoria my nephew was being honored as uh, alumni of the year and he's been i think graduated five years now from uh the program maybe maybe not quite that long and I was talking to a guy there by the name of Joe. Joe is this big, big, burly guy. And, and Joe has got a tough story about his life and how his life had to get turned around. And Michael likes to tell the story about in the middle of Teen Challenge, he was just done with it. He was tired of being there. He couldn't stand the rules and everything else. And in Teen Challenge, it's not just drugs and alcohol that go away. There's no smoking. There's all these other rules around it. And, and he just hated every minute of that. And so He left. He went, he ran run outside of the building. Joe, big guy, comes barreling down after them. and said, Michael, get back in that building. You, get back in that building. Michael said, no, Joe, no, I'm just tired of this. I'm tired of you, I'm tired of them, I'm tired of that." And I thought to myself, I wonder how many times Joe had to go through a conversation like that. And so I asked him, and he said, you have no idea, but the tough ones are the ones who don't go back in. And so Michael finally just said to him, he says, All I want is a cigarette. I just want a stinking lousy cigarette. Joe ran to his car, come back, said, here, smoke this quick, then get your butt back inside. And gave him a stick of gum on the way in. Level of grace to get him back through the next day. It can be tough working with people like that. People that just get so frustrated as you try to help them because they can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. God calls you and I as servants for us to see the light at the end of his tunnel and just believe that it's there and to share that light with other people. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you are faithful. That we have an assurance and a measure of faith in our lives that is based not on my stamina, not on my strength, not on my, my, my knowledge, but it's simply based on my Changed heart from you. And my desire to obey your commands and to continue to serve you. Forgive me for those times when I'm looking at my life and going, well, these are important to me. I'm going to take a break from the things that are important to God right now. Reveal to me those areas where you want me, have me to serve. And don't let me use the excuse that I don't think has been revealed yet. Just put people in front of my path that need something from you. Thank you so much for communion. And it's a reminder to all of us of where our strength and our reliance comes from. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.